We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What are you doing here in Somerville anyway? Honestly, my mom won't say it, but we're completely broke. And the only thing that's left in our name is this creepy old farmhouse our grandfather left us in the middle of nowhere. Why'd you bring me up here? Entertainment value. <laughs> what is that? I don't know. Somehow, a town that isn't anywhere near a tectonic plate, that has no fault lines, no fracking, no loud music even, is shaking on a daily basis. Under the dining table now! Hey, remember that one summer we died under a table? I found this in my living room. Whoa, killer replica. A replica of what? A ghost trap? There hasn't been a ghost sighting in 30 years. New York in the 80s? It's like The Walking Dead. Your dad never mentioned this to you? It's just my mom. My grandfather died. My mom says we're just here to pick through the rubble of his life. For this bonus review, fresh off our discussion and deep dive in a final review of Ghostbusters, it's time to stay in the Ghostbusters universe with a film that, if you look closely, is almost identical to the original Ghostbusters, the fourth entrant into this franchise, Ghostbusters Afterlife. It is written and directed by Jason Reitman. 
two-time Academy Award nominee for Best Director, Jason Reitman, and the son of Ivan Reitman, who wrote and directed the original Ghostbusters. It is starring Finn Wolfhard of Stranger Things fame, McKenna Grace, Paul Rudd, Carrie Coon, Logan Kim, and Celeste O'Connor, and some other actors that I'm pretty sure we're going to get to in just a second. The plot synopsis according to Letterboxd. When a single mom and her two kids arrive in in a small town, they begin to discover their connection to the original Ghostbusters and the secret legacy their grandfather left behind. Now, I'm going to hope that you're listening to this after you've seen it because the plot synopsis I just read is low-key a spoiler. One that going in, I had an idea would be true, but not in the way that it ended up unfolding us. I don't want to spoil anything, but Dan Aykroyd's in the trailer, so we we can at least start there. Yes, Dan Aykroyd's in the trailer. He... Uh, answers the phone and says we're closed as like a stinger after one of the trailer title cards pops up. And look, I maybe I'm just naive and didn't expect him to have more than just like a scene. But I, I, mm, I struggle in how to talk about this because overall I enjoyed myself. This was a good time at the movies. I don't think I was expecting much from a Ghostbusters four you know, and I don't want to be too hard on this, but there's 75% where I was enjoying one movie, the McKenna Grace, um, figuring out things, finding friends and discovering, you know, the truth about her grandfather and, you know, the, the bond she has with, with the kid from her class. And then there's the Finn Wolfhard storyline that, you know, is fascinating in its own right. And like Paul Rudd is good and Carrie Coon is good. And I was enjoying that. Then there's a shift into the nostalgia that this is a Ghostbusters movie. And while I enjoyed it and all the notes hit, I can't help but feel like the only reason I enjoyed it is because I'm familiar with the property that this is. So I, I'll turn it over to you. What were your thoughts walking out of the theater after Ghostbusters Afterlife? Let, let me ask you this. Can, can I talk about the big reveal? They're doing promotional stuff. They, the, the, and cut this if you need to. So no, I mean, here's what we'll do. Here's what we'll do. The movie is the number one in the country this weekend. It made yes. more money. So I'm going to trust that our listeners have listened. I'm calling spoilers for this episode. This Thank is a God. full spoiler episode of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Bill Bill Murray and Ernie Hudson have been doing late night talk shows with Aykroyd. So okay. there, there's no there's no secret to this anymore. And I think there is a commercial that reveals it anyway. And look, the, this whole movie comes down to the fact that the three of them are are in it. I think a lot of the good comes from that. And from my perspective, pretty much all of the bad also comes from the <laughs> reliance on the legacy characters. I, I I have really complicated feelings about this movie because I really, I genuinely enjoyed a great deal of it. I liked the sort of coming of ageness. I liked that though it's set today, Reitman creates this almost 1950s era sort of stand by me vibe to it from an old school burger shop to kids riding in the back of pickup trucks to go to like make out point uh it's it's got a good energy to it the cast is fantastic i love carrie coon i love paul rudd and they have just electric chemistry together and i i really uh, mckenna grace who's an actress that i've seen elsewhere i i I thought she was good in that movie gifted with chris Mm -hmm. evans she's the real lead of this movie despite them pretending that finn wolfhard is she is 
absolutely killer. I think she's the best part of the movie by by leaps and bounds as the newest Spangler generation. But man, this movie feels I can't get over how how cynical I feel about the presence of the old Ghostbusters. There's no reason aside from the nostalgia pop of sending everyone home with a with a ringed out tear from the last few minutes of this movie that there's just there's no reason whatsoever for uh, all of these actors to show up in it for them all to show up episode nine style at the end of it too to to save the day at the last minute after not being in it it's just it's so unbelievably unfathomably manipulative and we didn't we will i guess recap our jason reitman conversation today (laughs) but I am, I'm just, I'm so struck by the fact that he went from like four movies in a row that performed like dog shit at the box office to all of a sudden he's always had this sacred calling to come back and direct this Ghostbusters movie. God, I just feel so cynical about it. I I feel so cynical about the motivations of everyone involved. I, I... there, there's, there's, there's an, I feel positive on this movie overall, but the, mm-hmm. it's, it's really settled poorly for me. I left the theater buzzing. I was really hyped. I was like, wow, that was fucking fun. I laughed. It had a, a nice like Amblin Spielberg vibe to it. And now sitting here a couple days later, I just, I just feel kind of bummed. So I thought a lot about the other franchises, the other properties that have done the nostalgia pop over the last couple of years. Karate Kid probably being the best example of this with Cobra Kai in that like the reason that show works as well as it does is because of the buy-in from Zabka and from Machio and the fact that they are clearly invested in taking this new timeline of the story seriously that you're then able to invest in them as well as the kids and their storyline and their characters in this, you know, franchise that we were already attached to. And here there's like 75% of that. I I'm with you on both film Finn Wolfhard and McKenna Grace, which by the way, you say she's, the best part of this movie i'll give her one b because her friend his name is podcast he's literally a friend named podcast in this movie played by logan kim uh he's hosting a podcast on the go he's got this boom mic and then a, a camera that he takes around with him and as somebody who produces and hosts and co-hosts a podcast i appreciated every single one of his references to the point where he meets his only listener in person when he meets dan Aykroyd, and is like you're my only listener and that feeling you get when you finally get to meet your listeners in person it it's such cool. an awesome <laughs> feeling so like i was on board with their version of the story and then the movie stops being that and again like you said while i enjoyed and was clearly touched by the heartfelt tribute to harold ramis in this movie i couldn't help but feel that the only reason i was any type of affected by any of this is because of the attachment i have to the original franchise and that this entire movie was just one big tribute to harold ramis and like I I don't know whether to knock the movie for it. Like I'm not as as cynical as you, but I, I clearly understand being cynical that these are the things that are going to get watched every weekend. And it's not like like I appreciate a good tribute in a movie. Furious Seven is like 
was on my final review for original songs, that Wiz Khalifa, Wiz Khalifa Charlie Puth song, because of the things the last 10 minutes of that movie made me feel. And is it heresy to say that it's done more effectively in that franchise than it is here? See, I, I think you really touched on something important there, which is that Furious 7 tells a... Look, it's a sequel to a series of lovably bad movies, um, but it tells a complete story there are some holes in the movie there are some problems as a result of the massive reshoots but it, it is an actual film that exists in a in a in, as a story mm -hmm. this movie the the last act of this movie and look i i smiled at the fucking miniature stay puffed marshmallow men like nuking themselves and super cute in yeah walmart stuff which by the way doesn't make any fucking sense because the stay puffed marshmallow man is only a thing because Dan Aykroyd thought of it when they were on the top of the skyscraper. It doesn't make any sense that Gozer would be like, I'm going to wake up the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man at the fucking Walmart down the street. Mm -hmm. But that is, I mean, that, but that kind of gets at it because that, that is the sort of crass manipulation. It's like, how can we sell merchandise of this thing? How can we get some fucking t-shirts made? It's going to be by making little baby Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Baby Yoda was successful. So now it's time to do baby Stay Puft. And I, I just, I can't, I can't get it out of my head. And the way Furious 7 acknowledges the meta thing and sort of segregates it off to its own point I found it more effective and more honest about what they were doing than here, where they try to present it as this sort of like grandiose retcon arc of who these characters are and who they've been. It just doesn't, it just, it just didn't, it didn't, I, I felt sad. I felt sad. I, I like Harold Ramis. We, we talked about extensively. Mm -hmm. I, I think he's, I like him. I think more than you do. You do. And I, I, I felt sad. I thought the CGI was well done. And I think we should talk about the sort of ethics of these actual literal zombie characters. But uh, I, I, I thought it was well done. I, I thought it was emotionally effective. And I, I leave there now feeling this, this like cold, crass emptiness that I watched a movie that, ends up that way and it worked for me in real time but you know what when i watch when i rewatched jurassic world recently i just felt sad and bored when i rewatched the force awakens a movie i quite liked in real time recently i just felt sad and bored i mean this one even makes the same like hunk of shit for the ecto-1 joke that they make about the millennium falcon in force awakens it's because these movies don't stand on their own anymore they they exist entirely as like these self-referential masturbatory historical documents and I, I i hate it i hate this this style of movie making even if this one worked on me so i'm sure we'll get we'll get more of these i'm sure we're gonna this this did reasonably well at the box office and it was on a, on a like a responsibly made budget so i bet we're getting ghostbusters afterlife 2 in like three years but uh, Damn, I just I just wish there'd be some originality to it. I know the the stinger sets up a sequel, but you really think this is headed that direction? This felt cuz that I think is what the last act did for me is that they had no imagination of a a, a sequel. They had no other way to expand the new character storylines any further that they kind of tied up so many loose ends to the point where well since this is the finale let's get the original ghostbusters in on this that i even though there's a stinger i thought that this made it fe seem more of a conclusion than anything else you know that they've tried the studio reitman ramus Aykroyd, in various forms have tried to make a ghostbusters 3 for years and years and years they i i think actually canonically counted the video game 
because they actually got Bill Murray to do the voice work, even though he swore he'd never do it again, as the canonical third Ghostbusters, at least in in like Aykroyd's mind. They all came back to do Ghostbusters 2016. They all came back for this. They'll all come back if they do another one. It's just sort of how it is. And how how long did I mean Bill Murray was on the fucking Bruce Willis video on demand movie plan here. The guy showed up for what couldn't have been more than like an hour of shooting and looked and looked genuinely disinterested for much of the time he was on screen. It made me sad because that is the oldest I've ever seen Bill Murray yeah. look on screen. And it's not just like I, I I loved On the Rocks, which was filmed, you know, a couple months before this. It's not as though the guy aged to shit or anything like that. It was just his whole vibe, his whole energy. He he looked like a fucking zombie forced to do this thing. He looked he looked more dead than the dead guy. And That's it's why, just, I, was not, <laughs> I was wondering who was gonna make that joke. <laughs> Who looks more alive, Harold Ramis or Bill Murray? Oh my gosh. It just makes me sad. It makes me sad. It makes me sad to see that he's just sort of given into this. And they all like grew up with, they all knew Jason Reitman as a little kid, so he can call in these favors. And it's clear that people like Jason Reitman. He's he's got J.K. Simmons there for one minute and Olivia Wilde there for two minutes. Though really, I, I, I there were a lot of seams in this movie and it's clear that there's like a three and a half hour cut out there just based on the number of of stuff that is absent and i'm not trying to do like a cinema sins thing here but there are like major gaping plot holes where things just transition to new scenes without wrapping up the prior scene or i don't know some characters are released from jail and the other one is left in jail or uh i don't know the character who has third billing in the cast bokeem woodbean uh gets like actually literally six lines in this movie clearly that guy had more to do that they simply didn't use he's a fantastic actor by the way and i'm, I'm bummed that he got essentially one scene here he's the dad right yeah he's the the sheriff i mean again he get he gets the crowd pop he he, he won an emmy for fargo his work in fargo is some of the best tv villain work i've ever seen it, it's like everything that everybody loves about Giancarlo esposito only better he's fucking great keep going with the fact that Paul Rudd's in this movie for like 20 minutes of screen time, if that. He's the Sigourney Weaver of this world, but that, I mean, whether you wanted to see more of him or not, I was shocked by how little Paul Rudd there was. I knew going in, and I think just from the marketing, not from anything I'd, I'd read, I knew that that Finn Wolfhard was the lead, which was incorrect because McKenna Grace is really the, mm. the lead and Wolfhard's the co-lead, and that Kuhn and Rudd were more supporting players to to you know, sort of shepherd them finding this and doing it a much more Amblin style where you'd often get like a relatively famous adult and totally unknown kids and the totally unknown kids carry the movie. See, I'd actually argue that there's enough posters out there where I saw Paul Rudd front and center that made me think he was in more of this movie than he is. But I digress. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You mentioned wanting to talk about the morality in this movie and the morals that are challenged here. So I'll give you the floor. What morals are you talking about? Okay, uh, this one I'm sure is cleaner than a lot of the other ones. I'm sure that considering the closeness of all the people involved here, that Ramus's family was consulted extensively, that everyone signed off on everything that that happened here. I just think it's fucking gross. Like, let these people fucking die. Let them recast if we need to, or just move on because death is a thing that that happens. And maybe our movie should reflect it instead of this weird, like, Ready Player One in real life thing that we're doing with the industry. I, I don't understand. Why does Rogue One need to have, like five seconds of of baby Carrie Fisher in it. Why does episode nine need to have like zombie Carrie Fisher as a, as a youngin in it? There's no, there's no reason whatsoever. I understand there are limited circumstances like Furious 7 where you want to honor someone's final performance and work through it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about why Grand Moff Tarkin mm-hmm. is the bad guy in Rogue One when that guy had been dead for like 25 years when they made that movie. It's fucking weird. It's weird that we can't move past this it's weird that we're so devoid of creativity and so tethered to nostalgic pops for intellectual property that we can't accept the notion that maybe just maybe ben mendelson can answer to a different imperial we've never seen before as though they don't dispense with dozens of imperial officers in the main star wars trilogy it's just it's just it's just it's sad like let, let we could do an entire tribute to harold ramus and his death in that movie without having to have like a weird creepy non-verbal like specter thing that they created of him and it just it, it just with the techno with the de-aging technology they're using these days that really uh, is is 
is quite impressive on the right actors. It just seems to me that we're headed for a future where we're, and Mandalorian, which I adore, did it too. We're, we're heading for a future where like a stuntman is going to play Luke Skywalker in, in a movie and Mark Hamill's going to be dead and they're just going to use like old voice clips of him because he's done hundreds of of voiceover roles so he'll be a perfect one they'll use all this old footage of him and they'll create this like robot zombie construct and we're going to watch mark hamill as as luke skywalker 40 years from now and i think that's really fucked up so it's well said and i think on a on the whole i agree with you and in those other examples i agree with you and even to an extent in here i agree i don't know if i give it a pass and I think it's more of the storytelling issue that I have that they even went down this road as how to tell this story by making the opening scene include. So, I mean, I'm again, spoilers. So we're saying that you've seen this movie because the opening scene has a body double of or an actor playing Egon, Harold Ramis up to his neck and you never see him. You then make the movie quite literally about him. I'm okay. Like Oceans 8 did this where they had Danny Ocean's sister and then he's just like off screen something happened and now we're continuing the story with other people. If you wanted to do that and say that like Carrie Coon and her kids like they were his grandkids or one of the Ghostbusters grandkids and the story continues with them and it's again a nostalgia kick but there's at least the lore like Paul Rudd has that scene where he sees the trap right the ghost trap and is talking about how all oh, the, the this thing happened in the 80s the Reagan era the Ra these ghosts attacked New York City and you can look back at it like it's a nod to the audience but it doesn't have to be the story that you're watching so i think it's more for me an issue with the actual choice they made to tell the story this way than the actual ethics of bringing Harold back to life. Because by the time we get to the third act, like, I mean, you brought the other three back. You might as well put a ghost Harold Ramis next to the original three Ghostbusters and have that scene. Like, the moment where uh, Winston turns to Harold and says, miss you, buddy. Like, yeah, I, I felt that. And at that point, the movie was that. So I was I was more accepting of it, I guess. I cried. My wife was like, like ugly crying, weeping next to me at the end of it. I, I, I it, it moved me, but it's because it manipulated me and it just kind of bums me out. You know, one, one, I don't want to cinema sins this shit, but they created this world and I had the same problem with Force Awakens. It's really fucking weird that in this movie, someone can go on YouTube and watch footage of the first Ghostbusters movie happening and it's like everyone on earth has forgotten that ghosts exist. Yeah. It's fucking weird. So that's something that hit me too. Like if that happens, that's the thing we're known for forever. Like that's, that's the Amityville horror house. That, like way ghosts more than attack that. New York city. Like that, that would be taken as seriously as nine 11. You know, we wouldn't be like, do you, did you, how do you not know about what happened in New York city in 1984? That's exactly. It. And to cast Carrie Coon in the leftovers where the premise is that 3% of the world's population disappears and what havoc that wreaks. It, it, for me, like the meta element of it, I could never get out of my own head. The idea that that like, fine, maybe the Ghostbusters break up and and Egon kind of sort of loses his mind or whatever. Fine, I, I I can go along with that. 
there, there's just no universe where nobody knows anything except for Paul Rudd, who happens to know everything about, oh, that's a ghost trap and I can teach you about it. And that's a proton pack. And oh my God, how cool. It's a proton pack. Like that is, that is so fucking strange. And I know that they went to like off the grid yokel town to, to make this happen. And maybe just everyone is so inbred and stupid in this Oklahoma town that they've just, and I, I don't think they actually have TVs in this town. So maybe that's what it is, but it's just, it's such a bizarre creative choice. So then I have a question. Are we taking this a little too seriously? Cause the, the original ghostbusters has its flaws, has its nitpicks, but we judged it as a comedy and like McKenna Grace has this bit where because she has no friends, Finn Wolfhard, her brother tells her like, think of jokes. And so she's testing her jokes throughout the movie. I'll say half of them land. And again, I found humor in just about every line that podcast says that Logan Kim says in this movie. And there's like a moment or two with Paul Rudd throughout the movie that I enjoyed. I don't know if it works then enough as a comedy, but are we judging it too harshly? Did they did they set out to make a comedy that has a heartfelt ending as a tribute to their friend and we're judging it like we will House of Gucci in a few minutes? I mean, look, we uh, we treated Ghostbusters as a comedy. We acknowledge the fact that in some ways it's like not a functional movie and mm-hmm. still came out loving it. So I don't think we need to worry about the, the the scale of our criticism here. Beyond that, the tone of that movie was not a comedy. There was no, there was nothing on the on the borderline even of something like the "Yes, it's true, this man has no dick" sort of sort of humor. There's no like scathing, like we're going to nuke the plot of this movie so that we can make jokes sort of thing that happens. This is a movie that I think is far, and they marketed it this way too. Far more than anything else, is indebted to that '70s '80s. Steven Spielberg house style Stranger Things is, has the same issue or, or I don't know if it's an issue or not but it is what it is Shazam does the same thing there's a ton of movies now from directors who grew up in love with The Goonies in love with E.T. all of these sort of classic movies of that ilk and I think that's what Jason Reitman was making here I think he was making a little bit of a 1950s coming of age story I think he was making a little bit of a, an Amblin movie and tossed in some jokes Along the way, and I, 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 I think we should be judging it as a movie that wants to be treated more seriously because it asks us to treat it more seriously. Yeah, I agree. I just wanted to ask the question. I think there's a whole plot about how Carrie Coon has these daddy issues and can't get over them, and it's affected her like to this day, and like her kids are affected as a result, and the relationship she has with her daughter is affected that way. So like the trauma of any science or any technology is 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 harmful for her. So yeah, you don't put those themes in a movie that's just like Ghostbusters that's just meant to be, we're here to make you laugh. So I agree. Um, we should wrap up this convo though. I think as far as the scores are concerned, um, I'm at a six out of 10, which is probably higher than the review you heard today. I I'll give it credit for the nostalgia pop, but I'm not sure as far as the ghostbusters universe that I'd put this ahead of, I, we'll say that for next. I'll put. I'll go with a six out of ten. What's your score? This is going to shock you based on how I've nuked this movie. It's probably a seven out of ten. A seven out of ten. Okay. I liked the experience. I had fun during the movie. I felt touched at times. I thought it was really well made. I think it's easily the best 
made of the Ghostbusters movies, which isn't saying much. Um, I think I'm at a seven out of 10 and my, my concerns are perhaps less about this movie. I mean, I said, I think Ramis was done as, as ethically and emotionally uh, proper way as it can be. I'm just more frustrated with the process. I'm more frustrated with the audience. We're guilty. Audiences are guilty. People went to see this movie. Nobody went to see fucking the last duel. Nobody went to see mm-hmm. last night in Soho. No one goes to see original stuff. No interest whatsoever. Th- those movies opened to $5 million. King Richard opened to $6 million despite having fucking Will Smith in it. This thing opened to $45 million because People want to go and have like their nostalgia button pressed. So we as an audience are are, are guilty of what we get here. But as those things go, I, I think it's pretty good. It's a seven out of 10 for me. And Carrie Coon is a national treasure and I adore her. Part of the King Richard number is because it was available in your house, though. Sure. But that movie wasn't going to do. We oh, can no, have- I agree. I'm saying part of my expectations for how that movie did is like, well, if given the chance to watch it at home or go to the theater, people will go watch it at home. Uh, it's that's true, but we have pretty good information that uh, now that we have a pretty large sample of movies releasing on HBO Max, that the movies that were that would have tracked poorly or were tracking poorly anyway are tracking poorly, and we know from the viewership data that people have been able to aggregate that they respond in turn. So if a movie opens to like $30 million, it's at this level of this high level of watching. If a movie opens to $6 million, the watching sucks. So it's not, I know they want to play the narrative that like everyone watched King Richard at home. No, it, it red notice smoked King Richard again this week. I'm sure we'll find out when the data comes out soon, but like King Richard, maybe it's the outlier here, but the other ones that didn't make any money in theaters, the, you know, those who wish me dead reminiscence movies like that didn't, have anybody watching them at home either? And honestly, two and a half hour tennis movie, kind of a rough sell. We'll, we'll save our thoughts for, for that movie. Um, would this change anything about your Ghostbusters pod? No. No? This doesn't rank in your Bill Murray rankings higher? It gives Garfield competition for the, the nadir of, uh, of <laughs> Bill Murray's career. Shout out Chris Percy Einan. Um, no, no. Yeah. An- anti-shout out to anti-shout Chris. Anti-shout out Chris Percy Einan. This movie is currently uh, in theaters nationwide. Um, at this point, we said spoilers, so I'm assuming you've seen it. Uh, I went to the city today with my partner in crime across from me and happened to drive past the uh, fire station eight where the Ghostbusters, the old firehouse that I guess, is that where they shot it? I thought they shot most of it in, in LA though. Uh, I don't know where they shot. I thought it was shot primarily in New York, but I, I uh, could okay. certainly be wrong. I mean, so much of it's in interiors and such, but I, uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's the actual firehouse though. That's the actual Ghostbusters firehouse is downtown and drove past it, saw the Ghostbusters symbol. It's on my Twitter. If you want to check it out, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by going past that on my way to meet up with you. Um, and yeah, this, this, uh, who are you going to call next time? We'll see if there's a sequel. Uh, thank you for checking out this bonus episode. If you dig the show, head on over to iTunes and drop a five-star rating and a review. If you're listening and you haven't listened to our review of King Richard, it's because it got released right after this, but we're releasing them both at the same time. So this will be a plug to check out our review of King Richard and stay tuned later in the week for a later in the week for another bonus review of House of Gucci, another movie by Sir Ridley Scott, and our final review of our first dive into animation. We are doing Toy Story from Pixar this week. Having said all that, thank you for listening and tune in next time for another final review.
afraid of no ghosts.